Turn your Bibles to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 26. Entitled this morning's message, you can take your pick, Stingy Preachers and Jalapenos, I'll explain that in a minute, or A Generous Heart. We'll get around to that in a second. But uh, how many, let's see, how many Pittsburgh Steelers fans? Let me see. Uh, Green Bay Packers? Dallas Cowboys? Don't care? Well, there you have it. You know, one of the best things about the game is the, are the commercials. And what's amazing to me are the commercials they put on, but what's maybe more amazing is the commercials that don't make it. Now, I'm going to show you one today that when I, when I read about this, it just floored me of why Fox Network wouldn't put this on. But I want to show it to you. It's just about 30 seconds. Take a peek. John 3, 16? What's that? I don't know. I've seen it before. I'll look it up. Thomas knocks him down, and he helps him right back up. Johnson's going to be seeing eye black in his sleep. Well, we certainly don't want that shown in America, do we? Has this political correctness of not about to drive us in the ditch? I mean, what a sad state America is in. The world is just different than you are. You're here worshiping the Lord on a Sunday morning. You believe in the Bible. You open your Bible. You believe God exists. Uh, you want to please Him. You want to serve Him. But yet so much of the world is just not there. Three million bucks for 30 seconds. And something in this antichrist spirit in this world said no to that. I want to encourage you, don't ever let the world stifle your Christian witness. Don't ever let it squelch your light. Live a, life of, live a life of integrity so your witness will have credibility. But how many know the world needs what we have desperately? They need it in this life, but particularly the one to come. Now, the world sees God's role different than we do. Uh, many people don't even know if God exists. Many people are adamant the fact that He's not. And when they look at the affairs of this world, everything is cause and effect. Everything can be explained by science. Everything is rational. It's reasonable because there's, quote, nothing outside to intervene in our world. But you and I believe in not only the existence of God, but that God is vitally involved in the affairs of men. When we pray, it's because we have an expectation that God will hear our prayers that God will either make changes or that God will give us strength or God will give us courage to face what's before us. We believe in the intervention of God in the daily affairs of life. That's not just, you know, spiritual things, but involved the daily affairs of life, that God cares for us. He cares about the quality of life that we're living. Uh, Genesis chapter 26, verses 1 through 12, I'm going to summarize. It's a picture in the Old Testament, the journey through time. Isaac is the primary biblical character at the time. Abraham is passing from the scene. But in Genesis 26, verse 1, a severe famine struck the land. Now, a famine was probably the most terrible thing that could happen in the world of their day because a famine meant no food. If you had no food, my friends, you die. It was a tragedy. Uh, but God, how I many know God is not threatened or God does not miss any sleep over the fact that the world seems to be in trouble. So there's a famine in the land. Isaac just happens to be there. He moves to a place called Gerar where Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, lived. And the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, don't go down to Egypt. Now, the most natural thing to do when there's a famine is go where there's food. 
Uh, if you lose your job and you hear there's jobs in a certain part of the country. In our early service, I met a man from Florida, and he said, you know, I moved to Texarkana to work in the power plant. I couldn't find work, so my family's there, and here I am. We migrate to places where there's job, and that's logical, it's reasonable, it makes sense. But God's going to tell Isaac to do something that is a little uh, off the chart. He said, don't go down to Egypt, but you just simply do as I tell you to do. Now, how many know that's good advice? Just do what God tells you to do and things work. But verse 3, you live as a foreigner in the land. And I want you to notice this phrase. You live there in the middle of the famine. I'm going to be with you. And what did God say he'd do? I'll bless you. I'm going to be with you and bless you. In verse 12, Isaac the farmer, he planted his crops that year. In the middle of the famine, he harvested a hundred times more than he planted. Why? For the Lord, the Lord blessed him. Why don't you think about that just a minute? Here's a picture of a man in a troubled economy. Here's a man when things around him are not very good. Uh, it's just, it's just, you can't do anything about it. It's bigger than the problems that are in the world. And hard work's not going to get you out of it. Education's not going to get you out of it. Uh, your savings are at some point not going to be enough for you. You need God to take care of you if you're not just going to survive but go forwards and thrive. And can I suggest to you there is a great parallel to Isaac's famine and America today. Though our economy appears to be getting better, stock market's up a bit, praise the Lord for that, but I'll tell you, there's lots of major problems in our American economy. You know that and I know that. A new unemployment numbers came out and somebody finagled them to say 9%, but Gallup says it's closer to 10%. And if you add people that are underemployed or people that have just fallen out of the job market, that's 20% of Americans. Two out of ten, one out of five that don't have work or don't have adequate work. I mean, no, that's not a good sign. Bankers tell us that they could foreclose on another million homes in this upcoming year. They say that one in ten homes in America are vacant today because of the crisis we're in. Our deficit is skyrocketing. Last month alone, we borrowed over $100 billion with the B dollars that we didn't have, that we had to print or somebody had to give us because we're not living in our means. Can I tell you, America's in a mess. And the, how about inflation? You know, it's good. you know, when you go to the grocery store, I don't believe the numbers that come out. When my wife goes to the grocery store, I look at the bill and I said, Honey, who are you buying groceries for? Because these three sacks cannot be it. So if you could see maybe a parallel between the, eco the economy of Isaac's day and the economy of our day, I will suggest to you the same God that cared for Isaac in his famine is the same God that can care for you in an uncertain future. The same God that when you look ahead towards Social Security, whatever that means in today's world or your future, can I tell you, God can take care of you. God can give you favor when other people don't have it. And this is so very key because I guarantee you in Isaac's day, there were people that worked hard. There were people that had lots of ingenuity. But yet the God of the Bible looked down upon this man for some reason and he took care of him. And I want to suggest to you that the same God that took care of Isaac can take care of you today. And I want to begin a new series this morning simply called Blessed, which is a series looking in the Bible not for get-rich-quick schemes, not for gimmicks, uh, not for, you know, some pie in the sky, but for ways that God cared for people in their world. I mean, when Peter had to pay taxes one day, he found a gold coin in a fish's mouth. He had to, he had to have faith to go, but he had to have obedience to do what God said. There was a widow woman in Elijah's day, and she was about to starve. She and her son didn't know what they were going to do and how they were going to make it, met the prophet, and basically said, you know what, we're going to die. And the prophet had the audacity to say, make me a little something to eat. She did it by faith, and guess what? God took care of her. 
Most people in the Bible, you see, we work by the labor of our hands. And it's the labor of our hands that produces for us. We pray every day that God would give us our... Think about it. Give me my daily bread, but you go out and work 8, 10 hours, 12 hours a day for it. But guess what happens? God somehow takes that process and He blesses you in the midst of it. So we're going to look at the Bible the next four or five weeks and look at some ways that God took care of His people. How God got His people out of terrible trouble. How God kept His people from trouble. But in all of it, God provides and God takes care of us. Uh, I want you to look in your Bibles this morning. We're going to begin in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 11. This series called Blessed, Experiencing God's Favor in Your Life. Again, it's not about gimmicks. It's not about get rich quick. It's simply living a life where God's taking care of you. And I would suggest to you, most of us in this room today are blessed in a great measure. Most of us in this room today had a bed, to, a warm bed to sleep in last night. Most of us could hit a switch and, and electricity, heat came in our homes, gas came in our homes and it warmed us. Most of us had food to eat. We had a, a vehicle to get, us to, to get us to church. Can I tell you, God blesses us. For most of us, the question is not, will I eat something today? The question is, how much will I eat and where will I eat? You see, God blesses us and cares for us. But you know what? That's not guaranteed for tomorrow. I've been very moved by a book called The Blessed Life by Pastor Robert Morris in Dallas, and uh, I'm going to be using this as a resource. I don't do this very often, but I was so impacted by it. We bought a case of them, and you can get one if you like in the lobby at our cost, or if you don't have money for it, you can just uh, take one, and, and hopefully you'll you'll benefit from it. Uh, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24, I want to look at kind of a, a foundational principle. God is, by His very nature, a generous God. God is a God who cares for people. God is a God who shares of what, of what He has and what's been given, what He has, He gives to people. And you and I can identify with the nature of God with generosity in our own life. This, this idea of generosity, not just with what you do with your debit card or, or with the cash in your hand, but, but being generous, sharing with people in need, having two cars and letting someone borrow one that doesn't have a car. Last night, the lady that, uh, that cleans our church, I got a uh, Facebook early this morning, and the husband said we were, we were cleaning and coming home. We hit some black ice. Our car flipped two or three times. Uh, thank God the babies were with us, and the baby was grinning, and we're all okay, but now we don't have a car. How many know generosity shares with people who are in need? Generos a generous person would open their home if someone needs a place to stay and they're a trustworthy person and you know them. A generous person would open their home and, and, and share with that person what they might have. This idea of being generous is the very nature of God. It's rooted in the second commandment. How many know the first commandment is love the Lord with all your heart? And that's just about me. But the second commandment is love my neighbor as myself. Care for people that are in need. Uh, do things to advance the kingdom of God. It's a spirit of generosity. But with that spirit of generosity, there is a reward. There is a blessing for your generosity that God in turn cares for you. Let, let's look at some passages this morning. Proverbs eleven twenty four, and I'll read from three different translations. It says, give freely and become more wealthy. But notice the contrast. Be stingy and what's it say? So there's two ways to live, and I'm going to get to the stingy preacher and the jalapenos in a minute. But give freely, God blesses, be stingy and lose. And that seems just the opposite of what, how, how life would work. But it's a God factor that's at work. See, Isaac had a God factor in his life. He had something supernatural going on that God would bless him in the middle of a famine. Uh, the New Century Version says some people give uh, much but get back even more. Others don't give what they should and end up poor. Isn't that interesting? 
Some people give much but get back more. Others don't give what they should and end up poor. I find, that this is just me maybe, but when I go to restaurants and they're just trying to chinch on everything, I feel a little cheated. But if I go to a restaurant and I'm at the counter and I'm talking to someone and, and he just gives me an extra and I say, well, I'd like some cranberry sauce, and they put a big scoop of cranberry sauce on the plate, there's just something that makes me want to kind of go back there again because people are generous. And there's something about this that's the nature of God. The Message Bible says the world of the generous gets larger and larger, but the world of the stingy gets... See, generous means to be open-handed. It means to share with others. And again, this is not just about money. This is, uh, this, this is being generous. And, and how about when you're driving a car? And you're, you know, you're stopped at a stoplight. I watched this the other day right on Summerhill. There's a line of cars. There's about, you know, 40 cars there. And there's this older lady, and she's trying to get out one of the side streets. I watched someone in front of me wait on her and literally wave for her to come on in and get ahead of them. Now, that's pretty rare in Texarkana. How many know that? Usually it's, I'm going to get where I'm going to get two seconds ahead of you, and you better not dare get in front of me. You know, you think about what is road rage? But road rage is somebody gets mad at you because you dared to get in front of them and they're ready to pull a gun on you. They're not even generous enough with their parking place or their place in traffic. Are you with me this morning? So generosity is this spirit of giving that adorns our lives, that affects everything about us. It could be giving love. You may, notice, you may notice today, there may be someone that you just catch their eye. It could be in the service today, and they just look a little down. It's a friend, and you know then that something's not right. Well, you just may give of some of your time and say, Hey, why don't you come to the powerhouse and, you know, have some, have some chili. Why don't you say, Well, I don't know that I want to go. No, come on, come go with us. What are you doing? You're giving love. You're being generous of your time. This idea of generosity is way, way, way more than dollar figures. It is our time. It is our knowledge. It is our abilities. You see someone stranded on the side of the road or someone in the parking lot at church and obviously their car won't start. You've got battery cables. Guess what? A generous person pulls right up to him and says, let me help you. There's something about this spirit that God blesses, being open-handed, sharing. It's not stingy. It's helping people that are in need. It's unselfish with our money and our material possessions. I was so proud last week of our church when we had our friends from Haiti here. Our church gave over $7,300 to help the church in Haiti, plus almost $800 just in buying food for the poor kids in those little cans, and another $1,000 just to the missionary for their personal needs. That's a lot of money from kind of a medium-sized church in today's economy or world. But guess what? Generous people, when they see something that God cares about, they're quick to reach out. As I've been saying to you, this principle of generosity is not just a money thing. It's every area of life. Luke chapter 3, verse 10, John the Baptist talking to people at the, at the great water baptism. And they're coming to him in verse 10 says, what should we do? The crowd asked. And John answered, the man with two tunics or two coats should do what? Come on, say it with me. Share with him who has none. How many coats do you have in your closet? Think about it. If I thought I've got one, two, three, four... Four that I wear somewhat regular, three that I don't wear very much at all, and four that I don't hardly ever wear. Is it bad to have coats in your closet? No. But at some point, somebody else could probably benefit from some of those coats. Please don't get quiet on me this morning. And I don't want a thing from you, and don't be cynical this morning. There's no usher at the door with a box, a basket at the end of the service. It's simply a challenge to be a generous person. Because where does everything come from? It comes from God. And when God gives it to me, the question is, is it just for me? 
Or is it for me to be generous to someone who may need it? Because when I do that, though my motivation is not getting, when I do that, there's an overflow that the giving God gives back to me. Um, Luke 3.10, Well, you see a man with two tunics, share with him who has none. And look at the next verse. And the one who has no food should do what? Should do the same. In other words, when you are blessed and someone's hungry, to share with them. Romans 12.13 says, When God's people are in need, do what? Be ready to help them. Always be eager to... Now, what is hospitality? Hospitality is just simply sharing what you have with other people. Hospitality could be... You know, sharing a, a, a room with someone. It could be having someone over for dinner. It could be welcoming a stranger in. Let me say this. You do not have to be rich to be generous. Because you know who a rich person is, don't you? It's someone who has more than you do. But I would suggest to you that we're all rich. And I want to tell you, you don't have to be rich to be generous. One of the most generous people I ever met in my life was my grandmother. My grandmother, uh, she was a Lutheran, loved God deeply. She immigrated from the Baltic state of Latvia in World War II. And in the middle of the night, I mean, it's a kind of a sound of music story. They took my grandfather and with barbed wire and threw him in a car. They were taken him to Siberia, and he got out, and, and he comes back home. And in the middle of the night, they load, they get, they get their horse. They had about 300 acres, a nice house, and they had a farm, and he was the postmaster. But they get everything, their family, whatever they can throw in that little horse and, 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 and wagon, and they take off across Europe. Well, they didn't have much. I mean, no, that doesn't last very long. And at some point, you've got to know that either God takes care of you because there's not a welfare system following you, there's not a check following you, God's got to be looking out for you. I mean, she tells stories about going uh, on the edges of town and just praying and feeling not to go spend the night in the town. You know, they would ask for a barn or somewhere to sleep. But staying outside and sleeping under the wagon in the town would be bombed in the middle of the night. But one story she shared about her generosity, she said, we were always hungry on those several years. We were always hungry. But she said one time she remembered that, that uh, uh, she had was able to get a little bread and just, you know, maybe some jam or something, and that was going to be the meal for she and her kids and her husband and her mom. But there was this other family that had kind of joined them that night, and they had some little kids, and those little kids' got eyes got real big when she was making that sandwich, and she's looking. She said, this is not even enough for my family. But she said, I couldn't turn those kids away, so I just broke our bread and I shared with people that are in need. Can I tell you, that is real religion. James says, caring for widows, caring for orphans in their time of need. It's a generous spirit that God wants to adorn, to adorn us with. And God sees these things. Somehow that little family made it across Europe, made it to a displaced persons camp in Germany, somehow makes it to America, and somehow at that point in time as an immigrant you had to be sponsored in America. A family sponsors them, gives them a job, starts working on a farm, and years later they're able to own their own farm and dairy cows and all that, and they, they live a pretty good life. Now, she didn't turn out to be a millionaire, but she had daily bread, come on, and her needs were met, and how many know we should be content with that? See, but generosity seems to get the attention of God in the pages of the Bible. Uh, he does bless generous people. Uh, why don't you go to Luke chapter 6, verse 30. I want to read to you a scripture that's, uh, oh, I think, probably the most abused scripture of, of my lifetime. Uh, Luke chapter 30, it tended to feed in the greed and hedonism of the 80s, 90s, and even into the, this, new, uh, this new millennium. Luke chapter 6, verse 30, Jesus begins this passage. Now, he says, give to everyone who asks you. Now, that's one of the pages in the Bible I just kind of like to tear out. How about you? Come on now. I got an amen last night on that one. 
Give to everyone who asks. Listen, I'll just be honest with you. I don't want to give to everyone who asks me. I'm just telling you, but I want to obey the Bible enough, so I want to kind of get there. But when Jesus talked about this, then he talked about if there's someone needing possessions, if they want to borrow something from you, give it to them. Then he talked about unforgiveness and forgiveness, giving forgiveness. Then he talked about the idea of judging. Judge not, lest you be all that. How many know when you give judgment, you'll get judgment? And then he picks up verse 38, which you have heard, give and you'll receive. Let me tell you what's good about that and what's not good about it. He goes on to say, your gift is going to return to you. That's his principle of generosity. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured in your lap. And the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. I can't tell you how many times I heard that on Christian television and heard it in sermons. But the problem was, it was not, this passage is not about getting it's about giving. And, and, and receiving is the reward for giving, not the motivation to give. Let, let, let me say it again. Receiving is God's reward that comes back to us, His blessing. It's not our motivation. If I'm motivated, if someone tells me, well, you need $1,000, give God $100 and He'll give it back, that's more of a greed motivation and a selfish motivation. I mean, no, we can take a, a truth in the Bible and it can get twisted a little bit. And rather than being about God, it can be about us. I mean, no, listen, the reason I give is because I want to practice the second commandment. I want to love people and I want to advance God's kingdom. How many know if God never did another thing for us, what he did at Calvary is more than enough? If I have to live the rest of my days eating turnips, now I don't want to eat turnips the rest of my days. Every once in a while, the turnips okay. That's you know, my grandmother as they went across Europe. She said sometimes we would eat the oldest, rottenest potatoes, and they make rotten potato soup. But somehow we'd bow our heads and say, "Thank you, Lord, for something to eat." I'm not telling you there's a lobster on your plate in every service if you just obey God and do what He says. I'm not telling you that. Some of the most spiritual people in the Bible were people that had great need. Paul the Apostle said there were times he went to bed hungry. See, so, so, so there's not a, a gimmick. It's not a one-size-fits-all. But a spirit of generosity does get the attention of God. And God wants our giving to be from a pure motivation, not a selfish motivation. I'm preaching a little better than you're amening this morning. Now, Proverbs 28, verse 22. Now, here's where it gets personal with me. I can either have a generous heart or a stingy heart. Because how many know when we talk about giving, it's not an issue of money. It's about our hearts. And my heart can be generous or it can be stingy. Proverbs 28, verse 22, it says, A stingy man is eager to do what? Get rich. But he's unaware that poverty awaits him. So I can be generous or I can be stingy. Now, you would think a stingy person you know, may not be a, quote, bad person. You may call him conservative. You may call him frugal. You may call him a good budgeter. Now, how many know generous people can be frugal and good budgeters, but stingy people can be frugal people and good budgeters as well? The question is, what do I do with what God gives to me? See, stingy, by definition, it's the opposite of being generous. It means unwilling to share. It means selfishly keeping all I have and refusing to give to other people that are in need. Stinginess, and this will be on the screen, stinginess says what I have is mine. Can you say mine? Did anybody have to teach your one-year-old to say mine? It just kind of erupted because that's the selfish that's the selfish heart coming out. A stingy man says, what I have is mine. I work for it and you can't have it. If I give you what I have, I won't have as much for me. 
And this is the root of the problem because that mentality says, unlike Isaac's, where in the middle of the famine, God blessed him, the stingy man says, I can take care of myself. I've got education, I've got experience, I've got money, I can take care of myself. Thank you, but just leave me alone. And the Bible says, listen, basically you are on your own when you're living that way. But generosity opens a door to God. Remember the stingy man in the Bible, Lazarus and a rich man, remember that story? Not Mary and Mount Martha Lazarus, but there was a rich, he was a, he was a poor beggar. And the Bible said he longed to eat the what? The crumbs that fell from this rich man's table. And of course, God was not very pleased with that rich man. How about the story of the man who was a farmer and he had great crops? And what did he say he'd do with his crops? He would build. Yeah, so here's the picture. Hey, man, my ship just came in. I won the lottery. I got this big sale. Uh, my company just went public. Uh, we got this huge deal. I got this big bonus. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm just simply going to put it in a more secure savings account. I'm going to build a bigger barn for it. I'm going to tell myself, eat, drink, and be merry. It is time to party and have fun. And you remember what God said to him that very night? It says, you, yeah, you're a foolish man because, listen, you've just stored these things up for yourself and now you're going to have to stand before God and you can't take any of it with you. Here's what I want you to see. Whether it's these people in the Bible, whether it's me, whether it's you, if I'm stingy, God is not pleased with that and it brought judgment in the lives of, uh, of those two folks. Now, let me tell you a little story because what I know is what I do with my money reveals what's in my heart. I shared this a couple of weeks ago, but it was such a bad, a good, bad story. I'm going to tell it again. Has anyone ever had a candied jalapeno? Anybody like candied jalapenos? Oh, I do too. I've liked them for several years. The only problem is Linnell hadn't been able to find them, and I hadn't been able to find them around here. And I was without my candied jalapenos for about, oh, six months. And every time I'd look in that refrigerator, I'd think, I'd sure like to put some candied jalapenos next to what I'm eating because they're sweet and hot at the same time. Well, someone told me that I could get some at the little Amish store on Highway 67. So, lo and behold, one day I stop at the gas station there, and I'm thinking, I'm going to get me some. And when I went in there to get them, and I didn't get just one jar. I needed one to put in the cabinet, you see, because you always need to have some extra. Let's get real here. How many people have... have uh, uh, ice cream sandwiches and, and, and ice cream hidden in your freezer, freezer somewhere, hidden in the back, popsicles, come on now. How about potato chips hidden in the back of the shelf where nobody knows that they're there? Or, or how about those little chocolate candies or those chocolate cream cookies that somehow have found their way behind your underwear, underneath? <laughs> I just want to make sure that I'm talking to like-minded people that are here because I know all those hiding places. Well... I go and I, I'm supposed to hurry up or is this, you're feeling guilty? No. Okay, I'll hurry up. This would have been a good day to have a snow day and stay home from school today. But, but, but I got my two jars of jalapenos and, and as I'm riding back, I, I happened to see a friend of mine washing his truck uh, when, I, when I went in, in my little store. And so I'm riding back to go to my house in my brown paper bag with two jars of jalapenos thinking how good they're going to taste. And I had this little voice, this little impression, this little thought that said, give one of those jars to that friend at the gas station. And I quickly said, get behind me, Satan, for thou favorest not the things that I want, but you favor the things, savor the things of God. And uh, I, I, I just thought, it's been six months since I've had these things, and they may be out again, and I may not be able to... 
Now, hopefully you're going to find a church somewhere that has a, a, a good preacher that doesn't have these problems. But I'm just telling you, this one has a problem. And, and, and it was $3.85 that I'm having this struggle with God over. But, but, but I did. I'll tell you. And I even hope when I was riding down the road, I sure hope he's gone. I hope he's not in that gas station anymore. I'm just being real honest with you. And then it got worse. He was there and I gave him, you know, I did the godly thing. And I, I, I gave him that jar of jalapenos. Praise the Lord. Thank God God just didn't want both of them. But, but, but then something worse happened that week. Now, this is, this is lingering in my mind here, you know, and it's not just a sermon illustration. I realized that I had a stingy heart. And we're in the office, and, 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 and Pat and the girls were talking about somebody. There was this little girl, and she, I noticed she'd been dressing real pretty. And, and they said, yeah, this lady in the church, a little girl went up to her and said, oh, I sure like your earrings. And she took them off and said, honey, you can have these earrings. And then she said, and if you want the necklace, take the necklace too because it goes right with those earrings. And I'm thinking, my gosh, $3.85. So, so when I talk about being stingy, I just want to tell you, I'm experienced with this subject. <laughs> Proverbs 11:24, though, it says this. Give freely and become what? But be stingy and do what? Money is a spiritual test. I mean, it is just a spiritual test in life. But it's not about finances. It's about our heart. See, God wants to change us. I know He wants to change me from that little part of being greedy and selfish takers into grateful and generous givers. See, we're taught so much in our world that if I give something, I've got to get something back. If I loan you something, I've got to get something in return. I can't just give you something to give something unless I get a tax donation receipt for it. And nothing wrong with tax. I think that's smart, good money management. But I'm telling you, it can't just be tit for tat. It's somewhere in this. We've just got to open ourselves like God opens himself to us. How many know God is the one that gives rain from heaven? How many know it's for God so loved the world that he... That he was as generous in the most rich fashion that he could be because he gave his son to meet the needs of the world. And he didn't get anything back in return. So, go to Deuteronomy chapter 15. I'm going to wrap this up here and then we can go down to the powerhouse and kind of have some fun. You can make fun of me. The reason people are stingy is because they have a selfish heart. Now, I'm looking in the mirror when I say this. The reason people are stingy is because they have a selfish heart. Uh, here's a passage, Deuteronomy 15. Now, the Jewish law on that day had a really cool thing. Every seventh year, they'd cancel their debt. Now, how many would like in every seven years, somebody just say, hey, what? you don't owe anything else on the credit card. You don't owe anything else on the house. You don't owe anything else on the boat. You don't owe anything else on the business. It all gets clean. And that's the way they kept their economy out of the mess that we're in today. Wouldn't that have been a novel thing rather than our President Bush and President Obama doing these trillion-dollar bailouts? What if these banks would have just said, you know what? We boo-booed. We made a mess. The, the slate's clean. You just keep it. Now, now, that is as foreign to American thinking as left is from the right. I mean, it is just opposite. But they would kind of clear the slate. Well, here's the problem, and I want you to think about this because here's where selfishness can come in. What if I've got something and you don't and you need something and it's year six and I know in that one year you're not going to be able to pay it back and I'm going to suffer a loss. Now, that's the scenario. Listen to what the Bible says. Be aware of evil thoughts. Don't think, well, the seventh year is near, the year to cancel what people owe. Why, you might uh, be mean to the needy and not give them anything. And then they're going to complain to the Lord about you and he will find you what? Guilty of what? 
So the Bible is equating selfishness with what? With sin. And the problem is that is one of the biggest struggles we have because every one of us are raised in a nation of rights. And politicians and lawyers have created a society that's all about our rights. Uh, there's, now, if they repeal the health care, uh, there's patients who will have their rights violated because something will be taken from them. Uh, there's a passenger's bill of rights for people that fly in airplanes that they can't leave you cooped up like, a, like an animal for longer. I mean, everything is about rights. And what the Bible's saying is we're supposed to lose our rights and give up our rights. And here's where the rubber meets the road. God calls selfish thoughts wicked thoughts. Selfishness tells us that we won't have enough and listen to the deal. God won't be faithful. Selfishness tells me I can't give you this because I might need it. And if I may need it, God is not going to give it to me or won't be able to take care of me. See, if you'd have said amen then, I wouldn't have thought you were convicted at all or anything. But selfishness, the thing that I struggle with and some of you struggle with, grabs us. See, the enemy of generosity is selfishness. I was born selfish. Anybody else? But guess what? I was born again to be generous. I was born selfish, and that's just kind of life. But I was born again so God might give me a heart transplant. So God might change me from the person I am to the person He wants me to be. See, there's something, something here. I hope you're, you're getting it this morning. Now look at verse 10. It's same in Deuteronomy. It's right after this thing about being careful in year six or year six and a half. Or what if it's a month before the seventh year? Uh, here's how it goes, verse 10. You shall give to him what? Freely, and your hand shall not be grudging. In other words, don't feel like it's an obligation. Don't feel like you have to. Don't feel pressured into giving when you give to him. Why? And, and, and I want you to really let this sink in. Because the Lord your God will do what? Bless you in all the work you undertake. If you will simply be a generous person, you partake in the nature of God. And God cares for people. And irrespective of what they do, irrespective of if they meet the terms or obligation, God says, I see it if you do it from a right heart with pure motives, and I will make sure that the reign of heaven falls on you. How many know we need that reign of heaven in our life? Give the Lord a good hand today. I'm going to wrap this up and we're going to close. This is worth writing down. If I live a selfish life, I'm on my own in an uncertain economy. Let me say it again. If there's a famine in the promised land where Isaac is, and if I'm living selfishly, I'm on my own. But if I'm generous, then God will bless me. And that's my word to you today. Um, Ezekiel 36. I'm going to close with this, and then we're going to pray, and, and hopefully you'll, you'll, you'll join us in, in, in Powerhouse. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. As I've told you, generosity is not about money. It's about our heart. Can you say that with me, that generosity is not about money? It's about our heart. From my grandmother, Mama, in Europe somewhere, it's about a half a piece of bread. For you driving on, uh, down Summerhill, it's stopping your car and letting someone else take your place. In, in the parking lot at Walmart, listen, why fight for the place? Let somebody else have it. If you just park far away by the road, let me tell you what will happen. You'll get more exercise, you'll be healthier, and nobody will ding your car. But it's like people want to kill each other over a parking place rather than being generous to give of what we don't have. I'm going to get rid of some of those coats in my closet because I know somebody's cold and I don't need them. How about you? Ezekiel 36, 26. I'm going to give you a new heart. This is God speaking to the, the people of Israel about spiritual transformation. I'm going to give you a new heart and I'm going to put a new spirit in you. 
I'm going to take out of you your stony, stubborn heart, and I'm going to give you what? I'm going to give you a tender and responsive heart. I'm going to take that stony heart out of you. How many know that's a good, good thing? You raised your hand, didn't you? I even bought these with my own allowance money here. And uh, uh, anyway... Wouldn't that be a great prayer? God, give me a new heart. Take out of me the stony heart. Take out of me the selfish heart. And give me a generous heart. Take out of me that, that hold on heart, that struggle. $3.65 can send you in spiritual turmoil and can kink the hose of the blessing of God in your life. And it's not about a nickel, it's about a heart. I had an interesting text yesterday. Now, it's been pretty cold and snowy. I have enjoyed our fireplace. How about you? Right in the middle of this message, I get a text from somebody and says, I'm out of wood and I'm cold. Can I have some wood? And my first thought, it didn't last long, but my first thought was a picture of my diminishing wood pile because my wife has been burning wood like paper. But it didn't last long because I quickly typed in, sure you can, come get it. Because I realize I may be pretty good, but I know that there's another level in my spiritual life. I don't want to stay where I am. It's more than just being a penny pincher with God. It's learning to be generous. It's learning to be content with what you have. See, whether God comes and blesses me with a lot or whether my life tends to get a little more difficult and tight. How I many know the blessing of contentment is a wonderful, wonderful thing from God? It allows me to be happy whether I've got the finest or whether I've got the fake. I mean, no, I can still have peace in my heart with God because He's a good God and He takes care of me. Isn't God good to us? Give us this day daily bread. And God forbid if a famine ever comes to America, I hope I'm in an Isaac relationship with God. So God looks down on me and says, I see the guy's track record. I'm going to take care of him. Give the Lord a good hand this morning. I'm going to close in prayer, and uh, I'm sure glad you came this morning. Honored to have you. I know there's lots of good churches here in Texarkana. We're just delighted that you've come and, and, and shared time with us today. Hope you'll come back next week. Bring a friend, and we'll talk some more about this and, and just see how, how God cares about my material world. And God's the one that's the source of all I have, and I want to do the best I can to get in position for Him to take care of me. We're going to close our, our, our meeting with, with prayer this morning. And for many of you that are here, it'll be the most important time. Prayer is a time when you can make a connection with God that maybe you've not been able to make in worship or even in listening to the Scripture. Because we, we all bring lots of things into the service. Anybody kind of in your heart distant, honest enough to say that, hey, i got some money struggles in life. i got some bills I don't know how I'm going to pay. Come on, be honest this morning. I, I, my financial life needs some help. I've got some bills and things. Well, sure. Hopefully the Holy Spirit will just spark something in you. And something will begin to happen. But, you know, we could pray together this morning. You could pray with someone. You could pray about a need. You could pray about a problem. And it could set you in motion for God's helping you. Maybe it's related to the message. Maybe you came in with some other things. Maybe you've got a big decision in front of you and you need the wisdom of God. Maybe you have a pivotal meeting this week with somebody that's going to determine something about your future. And you want someone just to pray with you. Maybe there's someone that you love very much and they're away from God. There's things going on in their life that's just not where they need to be. And you want the prayers of a faith-filled believer to stand with you. I want to tell you, somebody will pray with you and they'll take as long as you need. You don't have to be a member of this church to come for prayer because how many know everybody needs prayer? 
Here's how we'll do it. In just a second, Pastor Nick will begin to sing. I'll ask all of you to stand. Our prayer team is just going to come right out of the chairs. And if you want prayer today, I want you to just come and join them. And the last thing I'd say that maybe you're here and need prayer today for your spiritual life. You know, you can go to heaven broke, but you can't go to heaven without Jesus. Money will never get you there. You can't do enough good things. You've got to have a personal relationship with Christ. Your sins have got to be brought to the cross. Your sins have got to be forgiven. You've got to make that 180-degree change where you turn your life from following you to following Jesus. I was raised in church, and I thought it was just enough that I went, and God had scales, and the more good I did, the more likely I was to go. Not true. We all have a problem that's called sin. It's all dealt with the same way. It's dealt with at the cross of Christ by asking God to forgive us and turning our life to follow Him. Maybe you're here today and that's your big need. You need to get right with God. It might be the first time you've ever prayed with someone for salvation. You you might have prayed before and gotten off track. And today you want to come back. I want to encourage you today. When we stand for prayer, I want to invite you to come and just tell someone, I need to get my life right with God. I want you to pray with me. And that they'll do that very thing for you. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet. Pastor Nick, begin to sing. Congregation is going to sing with you. And our prayer team is coming now. And if you need prayer, I want you to just come and join them. Come on, let somebody pray for you. We've got pastors, elders, just committed Christian people that will stand with you today. Men, women, you come. Come by yourself. Bring a friend. But you need prayer. You need God to help you in some way. You come and we'll stand with you this morning. God bless you.